The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, the product development team from Teva speaks to the Outdoor Product Design and Development Program at Utah State about how design, development, and product line management work together to bring new product to market. So first and foremost for everyone uh, here, big thank you from myself, uh, Oscar and Seth, kind of what we were talking about it earlier. We were really excited to do this. I think for all of us, when we started speaking with Chase, um, pretty, pretty exciting for us in the sense that being able to sort of share our background in the outdoor industry, um, because I think all of us really kind of wish that we would have been able to take a class like this and have some of this, you know, instruction and just to kind of learn a little bit about what these roles mean and what they are. Um, so first and foremost, of course, thank you. Um, so today we're going to walk you through a little bit of our kind of go to market process for a project and get into a little bit of the differences between our roles. Uh, there's three of us here. So you have myself, Mark Pickard. Uh, I'm our product line manager for Teva Men's. Uh, we have Oscar Kiros, who is our product development manager. And then we have Seth Gerke, who is our uh, one of our designers for men's uh, product. So getting right into the process, um, I thought we'd start out with just a little bit of background about Teva and our company Deckers that we work for, uh, because it is kind of an interesting way that, you know, a lot of businesses, which if you had somebody from VF, you're probably a little familiar with how these structures work. But really what happened with Deckers is the overarching company that owns Teva and Deckers owns a couple brands, which I'll get to in a minute. But really kind of started out in the early 70s, 1973 in Santa Barbara. And where Deckers really got its start was making these kind of really, you know, kind of funky, retro, um, striped, very of the era flip-flops. You know, <laughs> Santa Barbara's a big surf town. Everybody around here is pretty much living in flip-flops year-round. So they kind of were just this really kind of small upstart company. And they were actually producing these sandals right out of a factory in a nearby town called Carpinteria. So that's kind of where the, the nexus started for this. But over the next couple decades, starting in you know, kind of the late 80s is when they uh, acquired Teva. But the really big change happened when Deckers bought uh, UGG in 1995. Uh, UGG, of course, massive global brand. That's the biggest brand that Deckers owns. But that's really kind of what sort of spurred Deckers into growing into the company that it is today. And this structure of sort of a, you know, public company that owns multiple brands is pretty common. Uh, you're going to see this, um, a really good comparison would be Wolverine Worldwide is set up very similarly. You know, they're another multi-brand. They own Merrill, Chaco, Saucony, and of course, Wolverine. So it's pretty common that, you know, you'll have these companies that own multiple brands. Um, and we structure ours a little bit differently. Um, we sort of split it into two main groups. We have our fashion lifestyle, which is really led and anchored by UGG. 
Uh, they have a sister brand called Kulabura, which uh, focuses on some different channels uh, for that um, kind of, you know, again, lifestyle fashion product. And then we have our performance lifestyle brands. So performance lifestyle for us is going to uh, encompass Teva, uh, which all three of us work for. And I think one thing to point out is that Seth, Oscar, myself only work for Teva. Um, we don't work on other brands. So we do still have kind of our own group and we have our own employees and own staff. Uh, we also have, of course, Snook and Hoka running shoes. So pretty big, diverse group of different brands, and that really is by design. I mean, one of the big benefits of this is not only can we share technology, we can share resources, but we really also then can cover different needs. So that way it allows us to kind of spread that risk and those benefits over a couple different brands. So that means we don't have to saddle kind of one brand to just sort of appeal to everybody. We have multiple brands that can kind of appeal to different markets. We'll get into that a little bit more detail because that is sort of a reoccurring theme is just what, you know, when you're designing products or building products to market is, uh, who you have to kind of be thinking of when you're when you're creating these. So a little bit about us in the Teva world on our own, um, kind of digging into a little bit of our history. I mean, I think for starters, you know, a little bit of our mission is, you know, we want to be your guide for adventure in the modern outdoors. And our vision is that the global leader of the uh, modern outdoor footwear brands. This is really important to us, and it's something that we've put a lot of time in over the years with Teva to really make sure that this is a brand that can still be fairly re relevant and can be, you know, again, uh, evolving in modernizing itself uh, as the outdoor industry changes, because it has changed a lot. And we're really lucky with a brand like Teva to where we have a lot of authenticity in our history. Um, and we have are also in a unique spot because we've been sort of a brand that's actually created an entire product category. And I'll show you some more details on that in a minute. But I think it's just to give you an idea of what the brand is really all about, kind of have these sort of keywords down below. You know, we are universal, uh, we're wild, and we have grit. You know, really all these kind of keywords mean that we want to make sure that we're true to ourselves as a brand, but we also want to make sure that our appeal can be really wide. We want to make sure that we can address um, product needs for a wide array of different people and uh, point of views. Uh, we're curious. We always take, like to take what we call fun expected approach. Uh, we get into that a lot when we develop new products. We really want to kind of try and make sure that we're staying very true to the brand and authentic to what Teva is. But we also want to take, make sure that we're taking kind of uh, the opportunity to have a little fun while we're doing this because we spend a lot of time doing this work and it's a lot more rewarding when we can enjoy it and we feel that our customers really appreciate that. And then, of course, freedom. We want to make sure that we're allowing people and building gear that's going to help people access the outdoors however they want to. So that means everything from top of the mountain to bottom of the mountain. We really want to make sure that we can allow people to interact with the outdoors in the way that they feel is best uh, for themselves. So a little bit about Teva uh, in our direct history and what I was talking about when we talk about inventing a category. Um, these are just a couple of scans and I apologize, there's a little page crease in the middle here, but we have a pretty extensive archive of old catalogs within uh, Teva and we've been sort of digitizing it over the years. And one thing that we're really proud of and I think is really unique about Teva is that this brand actually has quite a bit of heritage in the outdoor industry and it's been around, I think, a little bit longer than people might realize. It actually started in 1984 and really the kind of 
impetus for how this was created was by uh, river guides in the Grand Canyon. So at the time, you know, most of them are wearing something like a regular flip-flop while you're doing these big river trips, but you're obviously going through big, big water. Uh, you're in and out of boats. You're kind of doing, you know, going to shore. You have a lot of kind of demands that are unique for footwear. And one of the issues that was frequently coming up is that if you go into the water, uh, if it's moving fast, a lot of people were losing their flip-flops. So then you're in a little bit of a trouble uh, because you don't have something to protect your feet. So the way the story goes is that they actually, uh, our founder used a old Velcro watch strap to sort of rig up a retention strap for his flip-flops. And that really kind of built this style here, which is the Teva Original, which we still make. Um, right below that is probably our most recognizable silhouette and style, which is also one of our kind of key heritage items that we, again, still make to this day is the universal. So that's this three-point adjustable strap um, and the connector. Nobody really realized it at the time, but this was actually the birth of the sport sandal. And this is the category that we invented. And that's something that is really important for us as a brand because we have this rich heritage of being this kind of river-focused, you know, product company. So it's something that we always have to stay true to and we always want to kind of take that lens uh, into how we're approaching new products. But at the same time, like I said, we, we also want to be a modern brand and we have to re we realize that that means, you know, challenging ourselves to constantly be looking forward as to how we build new products. So getting into a little bit about what that product creation looks like and in the most simplified way, we look at it sort of as a triad of different groups. So these are all the functions that myself, Seth, and Oscar work in. So you start with our product line manager, uh, which is myself. And really what our job is, is kind of this sort of commercial lens. And it's a little bit of a balance of the kind of art and science that goes behind um, making uh, new footwear and bring it to market. So some of the key things that we do when we're approaching a new product is going to be utilizing market services. Um, there's groups called you know, WGSN, which kind of does like a lot of fashion trend forecasting. So they send us reports that can detail everything from what materials are kind of becoming more prevalent. Uh, this is particularly important with things like sustainability because that whole aspect of sustainable materials is moving much, much faster now than it once did. So being able to kind of know what's out there and what uh, technologies are going to be available is super important to us to know that we can, you know, try and be ahead of the curve a little bit. Um, we also use the services like NPD, which is a reporting service that, you know, we utilized that basically aggregates a lot of sales data. So it's is for North American retail stores. So this is being, you know, everyone from, you know, larger, say, department stores to sport retailers. It's a pretty large grouping. And we get sales reports. So that allows us to kind of analyze a little bit what's happening in the actual marketplace. So knowing, okay, you know, brand A just came out with this style two years ago and wow, they're actually, that's growing at a pretty significant rate. You know, what, what's kind of leading that? What's informing that? Why has that been so successful? So that's a very kind of quantitative approach. It's showing us kind of real hard data that's like, okay, this is what's happening in this market segment of, you know, sandals or close toe or hike, whatever the category is. Uh, and allows us to kind of analyze that and get really granular. Kind of next to that is we also just have kind of more, you know, I would say just sort of on the ground research. This is a little bit more of what I would say is sort of qualitative stuff. So that means 
We're going to be purchasing samples from competitors. Uh, we'll cut those up. We'll take a look at how they're being constructed, what's happening and how they're approaching that. Uh, we'll take, you know, retail visits. It's a big part of my job is, uh, well, or at least it was. It's a little different now with COVID. We do a lot more things via Zoom. But really getting out with our kind of key retailers, spending a lot of time with our buyers, floor staff, um, getting a look at what retail floors are looking like and, and having conversations with them about what they're seeing. Because I think it should come as no surprise that everything right now with, you know, any brand is moving very, very fast. So being able to kind of spend that time to hear and see and just speak with people who are dealing with this every day. I mean, one of my favorite parts of this is actually just interacting with floor staff because people who are out there having to sell and deal with customers on a day-to-day -day basis are running into all sorts of really interesting points, whether it's, oh, this is how something's fitting or this is why I like this product versus this one. You know, all of that can really help us inform where we're going. Um, kind of one more layer here. We, we do a lot of, you know, um, consumer, you know, insight meetings where we actually sit down with uh, customers and kind of learn a little bit more about what some of their habits about how they, you know, make decisions to make a purchase, uh, what they're looking for from a brand, uh, and, you know, getting insights as to what sort of drives them to, you know, look at one product versus another. We then get into sort of things like seasonal themes and inspiration. That's where we really start to work very closely with our design function. Um, that's where we sort of set a uh, seasonal kickoff for what we want to do and what we want that season to look like and feel like. And ultimately that kind of uh, finishes up with product briefs, which is probably one of the big main handoffs of our function as PLMs. We're responsible for writing product briefs so our designers can get to work building product. And that sort of gets into the design function. So, you know, designers really work on product ideation. Uh, they push us to kind of look at what different ways we could approach projects or what problems we want to solve. They do a lot of sketching. They provide us options on patterns. They also do a lot of troubleshooting work if we're running into issues uh, of a certain, you know, whether it be a closure, anything like that. Uh, designers do a lot of work uh, with developers to kind of make sure that we're coming up with something that we know is going to work. Um, they also are really our big explorers for constructions in innovation in the footwear um, realm. And then they also work with development uh, for costing, which we'll get into a little bit more uh, detail in a, in a few. Rounding us out, we have development. So really kind of that product commercialization. So developers are sort of like to think are, they're the ones responsible for taking these designs and building these into actual physical products. So that gets into sampling and troubleshooting, uh, costing and financial confirmations, uh, and fitting. So we're going to kind of divvy these up by each role and get into a little bit more detail uh, as to how this process works. But to kind of start us out, we can get into product briefs. So product briefs uh, are done seasonally for us, and seasons will shift from brand to brand. Some do multiple seasons. We, do, we generally split ours into a, a spring, summer, and a fall, winter. Um, but we really, when we're kicking this off after we've done all those research, you know, projects, whether that's meetings with retailers, uh, analyzing data, we start to kind of outline, okay, here's how much we want to kind of invest in for the season in terms of actual brand new products. Uh, we also then plan out what we're going to add new colors to or new materializations to. But really today, we want to talk about a brand new project. So what, what are we going to look at when we're going to develop something 
brand new for the season. And we start off with usually a couple visual pages. So in this case, we have this title as consumer experience. And this is really kind of more sense to give design an idea of what we want this product to maybe sort of, uh, for lack of a better description, I think of it as what we want it to feel like. Um, we want to kind of show, you know, where, where would people be using this? What, do you, what activities are they going to be doing? And what do we kind of want this to sort of, you know, atmospherically look and feel like in a very general sense? Now, sometimes we might add a later to that, which means we're going to get into a little bit more detail. Um, so we might pull some images of colors that we're inspired by or product details that we've seen. Again, that kind of all ties into that research I was talking about is sometimes you're out there and you're like, oh, there's this like really cool construction that we ran into. And it's pretty interesting. What are ways that we can do something like that that might be beneficial for our customers? Or, you know, what, hey, this color theme or this material keeps popping up and we're getting a lot of really good feedback about this and that people are really responding to it. What's something that we can do to address that? So we sort of get start out with some of these kind of more romantic atmospheric uh, portions and then we get into the really kind of nitty gritty detail portion of a product brief. So this is actually a brief uh, for our gateway uh, hiker, which actually launched last, uh, just, this last, just this spring, excuse me. Um, so getting into some of the details that we you know, include in a product brief for design. Um, we have project names. So we have in this case, gateway hike low and a mid. Um, this is for the men's line. And we get into project type and SKU count. So project type for us, in this case, NUB is an abbreviation for uh, new upper and bottom. One thing to uh, note here is that means we're probably using an existing footwear last for this project. Um, we detail our financials. So that means our hotel, uh, wholesale and retail prices. And then we also target some really important points here. Our uh, margin which is going to be, you know, a really important consideration for us because we always want to make sure that we're able to make these profitably so that we can actually reinvest that into new innovations and new projects in future seasons. Um, FOB is kind of our landed costs where we want to kind of, um, that's very important uh, development uh, for us. It's particularly helpful for design and developers as they kick off a project because it allows them to sort of have some guardrails about how much or how little we can invest on a given project. And then duty rate, a super important detail um, because in the world of footwear and in the world of apparel, um, all sorts of really kind of what we would think of in every day. I mean, before I even got into this, I never would have guessed that this was such a, you know, rabbit hole of different uh, data points. But duty rates really affected you know, dramatically by everything from what materials you're using, how much composition, so say synthetic versus leather, textile, uh, what sort of closures, uh, what sort of bottom materials, so how much of it is going to be rubber on the bottom, how much of it might be something else. There's a whole bunch of different metrics that will affect your import duty rate. Uh, and of course, kind of mentioning back our target uh, margin, those all kind of work hand in hand with one another. So it's really important that we have that in mind as we start off a new project. And then of course we include a global forecast. We sort of put in a few, you know, speaking, you know, points here to, to kind of give an overview of what we're looking for. And I think the most important ones are a positioning statement and what problem we want to solve. So positioning statement in this case was a technical overlasted hiker at a friendly price point. 
we want to have a gateway shoe that turns newbies into more serious hikers. So the idea here was that we really wanted to offer something that wasn't an intimidating kind of really traditional big hiking boot. Um, we see a lot of people who are um, really maybe just getting interested in the outdoors that use a lot of sneakers or athletic shoes. And maybe they're starting to think a little bit more of like, oh, I'd like something that has a little bit more function for actually hiking. Uh, and we really want to make that an easier uh, transition rather than a lot of, you know, you go to a lot of retailers and it's like, oh, here, here's a, like a really big hiking boot. So then we get into a little bit of our business class. So we see this as a business builder for the brand. Uh, and we identify this as a performance first product, uh, as well as which distribution channels that we're really targeting here. But one of the most important details, and I think that we spend a lot of time going back and forth with design is what problem we're trying to solve. Um, that's really in the most broad sense, purpose of a brief is what are we trying to do? Uh, and with us, for this season, it was quality hike product that isn't too intimidating or polarizing to a new hiker. Again, we really had a lot of feedback and a lot of insights about, you know, people not really necessarily wanting to have this kind of bulky, more traditional hiker. People want something a little bit more modern feeling and something that feels more familiar. Uh, we wanted to have clean styling with functional midsole and outsole and a universal fit in the upper. Uh, and we really wanted to avoid a lot of rigidness and bulky layers that you find in a lot of hiking. And then we kind of give an overview of what some of the competitive set is. Um, you know, everything here in the case from Solomon XR Mission. And then, of course, you know, even some competitive things that kind of fall into that more traditional product because something like the Keen Target 2 or the Merrill Moab, you're going to see those in a lot of retailers. Um, those are really popular styles. So it's important that even if we're not looking to necessarily try and make something like that product, uh, it's important for us to know what we're going to be competing against as we try and go out to the marketplace. So this is kind of a dual purpose of showing a little bit of what's out there in terms of innovation, but also to show design like, look, this is what we're actually going to be selling against and this is what we're going to be measured against. So it's important that you understand what these kind of look like, what their pricing and feature set are. We round this out with some uh, details about sustainable elements, uh, packaging, and then our tooling information. So when we talk about tooling, that's outsole molds. Um, we want, in this case, it's going to be new. Um, and then any technology that's proprietary for us. So in this case, spider rubber, which is our own rubber compound. Now, after all of that said and done, and we go through the go-to-market process, if things go well, we end up with a nice finished style. Um, and right now is when I'm going to turn it over to Seth, because Seth's going to walk you through all of the steps that we go through from panning off that brief to how we get to this finished style. So I will turn it over to Seth. All right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, what's up, everyone? So, yeah, I'm super excited to share, like, my perspective on design here with you because I think there's there's a number of things I learned in school and on the job as well that I think are worth passing on. So hopefully some of this serves you well. But um, I think something to note that I just thought of is that the Gateway was my very first project at Teva. And so it was, a, it was a huge opportunity for me. It was a huge amount of responsibility. And it really was kind of a crash course. Um, despite the fact that I'd had some internships and stuff like that, you really, there's not a replacement for experience that you have on the job. Um, and also, I don't know how many of you have like wanted to be designers specifically for a while, but like growing up and wanting to be a designer, 
you uh you know you tend to gravitate towards brands like Nike and Adidas and you know the best of the best and whatnot. But um, I have friends at Nike, and I know that they haven't gotten near as much experience or like hands-on focus or attention within uh, the you know the four quadrants and whatnot. So it can be really beneficial to uh, to open yourself up to like the smaller brands and stuff because you you just get a lot more responsibility and and work. Um, and so yeah, so this first page that you'll see here, the first thing you'll notice is that this looks nothing like the gateway issue that you just saw. Um, and so these are some of the first sketches that I had done for our uh, initial design review. And I thought this was worth showing because it's an example of how much something can change and morph through the process of building a product because it is a long process. And so basically within the first design review, my goal here was to show a range of more traditionally inspired hike products to down to more sneaker-like silhouettes because that was kind of my interpretation of the brief. Um, it sounded to me and was kind of talked about in the meetings that a lot of people are hiking in like ro or, uh, Roshis and like, you know, free runs and stuff that isn't necessarily made for that, but they're comfortable, they're stylish and they're affordable. So it makes sense why people are using them. So how can we kind of take those people into getting a product that is made for hiking, but still achieves the other things that, you know, the reasons why they're buying those other shoes. Um, so this is definitely one of the most fun parts of the process, but what's important to note is that the success of this particular design was heavily reliant on listening effectively. And so while I obviously wanted to make something that looked good to me, um, satisfying the needs from each function and prioritizing them in order to make the best all around product is our job as designers. It's, it's not just to make something look cool or look fresh or whatever, because you're not always making the coolest product. Um, it's about knowing who you're making it for and uh, the needs within that. And so when I say needs, I'm referring to those delineated in the brief, such as specific constructions or target markets, et cetera. Um, so here you can see uh, with the red circles here, we kind of honed in on the canyon design that I had implemented in the midsole as a great branding opportunity. So that's something that we carried forward. And then we have this tooling shape here in the bottom left, which was generally well liked. So you'll start seeing that show up more. Um, and you can go to the next slide here. But uh, one thing in particular that designers have a lot of influence within is storytelling and color. And so sometimes these elements coincide, but both can really strongly affect the perception of a sketch or a product, whether that's like at the final stages with the consumer or just within your first few meetings and trying to communicate your idea to the other functions, whether that be product or development uh, or sales, marketing, whoever else might be involved. Um, so some of the feedback from the first review included that the product lo was looking a bit too serious and that it could be more feminine, which was particularly important to our brand. So by showing the same, same materials, same construction, but simple color ups, we were able to get better buy-in to make these things a bit more casual and fun and had that, uh, validation there. And then, uh, this sketch at the bottom is not what I ever expected the tooling to be colored like but visually showing the direct inspiration for the style lines, which is this shape here is the Colorado river and our brand was you know, born in the Canyon. So it's, it's very relevant and makes sense for us to do. Um, but by visually showing that inspiration for the style lines and how it ties to our brand, it's just another thing that created a lot of interest moving forward and got people more on board with the whole idea. 
Um, so the next page, you're going to see a pullover here, and I will warn you, it's not pretty, and most full first pullovers aren't. So coming in as like an early designer, you get really excited when you get the you know first product back, but it usually looks like a potato, and that's just something you got to kind of deal with. But uh, I'm sure you'll experience this in class when you're in like initial models fail or things just don't come out quite the way you expect it to, but that's what makes this whole thing a process. And it's important to try and anticipate these issues the more you learn, um, because then that's how you set yourself up for success in the future. So our main project with this goal was to create this balance in achieving the look that we wanted while also reaching these duty minimums, which confined us to creating a leather majority product. Um, and this is kind of some of the stuff that you don't learn in school as much, or at least that I didn't learn in school as much is, is uh, all of the other factors that you have to take into consideration here around building something. So this was a heavily debated topic from the beginning and compromises were made on both ends of product and design. And at the end of the day, it took being in China and seeing the product in person to understand why we needed this to be a majority textile product. And so I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to kind of drive this point home with the next render. And so while it's a pretty basic color up, you can go to the next slide if you want. Um, so while this is a pretty basic color up, being able to react and execute quickly totally changed the course of this product for the better. Um, and this was something to where like we were all in China as a team at our factory and uh, weren't feeling the look, you know, the pullovers weren't looking good. And from the beginning, we had kind of had this idea in our heads of making it a majority textile product, but that was, you know, an issue because of leather duty and whatnot. Um, but after seeing the products and then being able to whip this render up pretty quickly, it really helped influence people and take this into the direction that ended up serving the product better in the end. So, I think that's kind of most of the point that I'd like to make is like, I love being a designer and it's fun. Uh, but the best designers in the world aren't designing for themselves in the most cases and yeah. learning as much as possible about each function and applying that knowledge to your own philosophy and workflow is what setting yourself up for success is. Um, so some of the things I didn't mention about this process are the technical parts like blueprints and CADs, but after our design phase and all the fun sketching and all that is when we start working really closely with development. And so that's how we build out the most appropriate construction and like designers would be completely lost without development and brief making and product. Like all of these functions have to work together um, because one person just can't do it all. One team can't do it all. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know the first thing about like which material to pick and put on a bomb. I mean, now I have a, bit, a little bit more experience and knowledge to that. But, um, you know, coming in, you, you need everybody to really work together and work as a triad. So uh, here I'll uh, let Oscar take it away because this is kind of the part that makes it all start feeling real. But again, we coincide and work together a lot through these next stages. So Oscar. Yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks, Seth and Mark and Chase, everybody. Super glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, so, yeah, I'm the product developer. And as a product developer, uh, you really are the, the main link towards uh, the main link towards manufacturing and commercialization, which essentially means, you know, factories. 
So under normal circumstances, um, we would work directly uh, inside of the factories, making uh, at least a couple uh, seasonal trips. So that could be anywhere between like two to four trips per year. Um, the majority of our factories for most things, I would say, is, is in Asia right now, uh, but not limited not limited to, but in Asia, um, Deckers has a, as a whole, we're producing things, in, uh, product in um, primarily China and Vietnam, but we also have uh, product in uh, Cambodia and some in the Philippines. And outside of Asia, we've done a few things in Mexico and, and Brazil and Dominican Republic. So, it, you know, so we're spread out. Um, Again, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, we would be going there uh, definitely on an annual basis. Uh, so I think the next slide we can start. Um, so, again, all the communication as a developer, you, you really are the primary decision maker when it comes to building the product. So clear communication, you know, and in, in between product, mark, Design Seth, we really do work incredibly close. And then, as a developer, yeah, you're you have to take all that information and translate it to 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 the factories, and ultimately execute the design and build the product to a cost. So, luckily, we have some tools that we work with that keeps everyone aligned. Uh, some tools and materials and documents that we'll, I'll, I'll be able to show you a few of these here. But really the first thing is that the last comes first. <laughs> it's kind of a funny statement, but um, it's, it's what you, you know, this is what you're looking at. You may or may not have seen one of these before. It's basically just a foot form and it really dictates and informs uh, the, the end product with obviously size, fit, it, the whole 3D shape, you know, the volume, function, performance, uh, uh, you know, the look, what kind of look, uh, aesthetic look, comfort, and typically these are going to be brand specific. By that, I mean, it's uh, if you think about it, sometimes between different brands, you may wear a different size. Uh, maybe you're a uh, eight in Adidas, but uh, eight and a half in, in, in Nike or Under Armour. That's because each brand kind of has, has their own specific um, standards when it comes to, uh, when it comes to all this information on the right, size, fit, and all that. And especially as the shoe, uh, as we grade up or down the sizes, each brand has, there's, there's little differences uh, between brands as to how they, the grading process. So, and again, so these, these are actually just a few of the basic uh, measurements. Um, it gets, it gets a little more detailed because it is a 3d uh, object. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of measurements uh, that, that are actually not shown here, but anyway, so the last is very important from that we move on. So once we have a last down, we start to look at, uh, upper pattern, as you can see on the left, uh, that that is the sh it's it's the 2D shape 
of, of what the design is. So, um, and the other big part is tooling. I think Mark mentioned earlier that that basically is the term we use for the outsole, midsole, and topsole components. So as you can see, it gets very detailed um, down to half, down to millimeters. Um, so we pour over these blueprints uh, most of the time. Usually we go through uh, two or three rounds uh, if we want to make revisions. Um, and I don't, it's a little bit small, but in the upper right, um, there, that's that's a log. So every time you make a change, you know, it's recorded. So you can, you know, for archive reasons, and, and it's always good to be able to go back and and see what we did along the way as, as the project evolves. Um, another thing that colored area that on the right, that informs, uh, that's textures. So it's not only uh, the shape, but it's also we're able to manipulate how we want it to feel actually. So there's all, there's, there, we have a the massive texture book that you can't imagine how many, uh, how many different ways you can, you can make something feel. Um, and also on here, it, it's definitely small, but it also informs the hardness or sometimes we call it durometer. So that's when you see, when you come across a shoe or a shoe that is dual density or triple density, typically the bottom you want to be harder. So it's more durable. And then a lot of times the midsoles will be softer for comfort or shock absorption. Um, and so, yeah, we could get a lot deeper actually, but, um, Hopefully that's pretty. Hopefully you can see how much you know work goes into that, and and a lot of this is between uh, design and development. So we we look at these, especially the blueprint. We look at those together, and and again after a few rounds, hopefully we we got it to where we need it. So the next one. So once we have those nuts and bolts down, we get into. Uh, material maps and color cats. So this is provided by design, the design team that is. Um, and so this is basically somewhat, this is how we build our bill of materials, which we'll see in a, in a minute. But from this material map, it, it, it's hopefully it's pretty self-explanatory. That's the goal. As you can see on the left, that colorization is just to make it easy to see where the pieces are. Um, and and of course you know the, it's just color blocked uh, all the materials um, down below and then so on the right this is typically going to be one file but the first you know the map is first and then depending on how many different colorways there are in this case we have a uh, what are we calling it sesame retro so this one um, again hopefully it's pretty clear there should not be too much confusion on this. Um, but again, sometimes we do have to make revisions. Um, typically we would, on the bottom there, the colors we work on Pantones or work off of Pantones. Uh, you guys may be familiar, probably familiar with, with what those are. Basically the international standard of, you know, colors, uh, very specific, you know, they have a name and a numeric code. 
So what do I do with all this information? So it's this goes this feeds the uh, bill of materials or as we say bomb for short. Um, this is probably the most important document in the world of development. This is basically the Bible. Um, this is um, this bomb management is is definitely one of the most primary responsibilities for for development. So. From that material mapping CAD, I'm able to build it, build this bomb. And this is only one page of seven. So it's actually a very big document. Um, it has all, so what's on the screen now is just the upper section. So it has every, uh, every component in the upper. And then on the right, you can see what else is listed. After that, it gets into the hardware, lining, reinforcements, Labels and logos, stitching, bottom finishing, packaging, and then uh, labor, overhead, profit, and tooling amortization. So it's very in-depth. Um, it, it's it it usually takes um, a lot of time to uh, keep it current and keep it accurate. Um, but this, once it's complete, this is this is submitted directly to the factory. And so the factory uses it to, uh, it, it's important for material ordering, uh, you know, obviously the right material and the right colors. Um, and also uh, uh, usage, this, this helps, uh, this helps them know how much, how much each material is, gonna, it, is used. Uh, and of course, and it also informs costing. So, I mean, we can't go anywhere unless we have a, uh, a bill of materials. And that, and this is for each, you know, every single product has, has, a, uh, has to have a bill of materials. So, yeah, I can't stress this one enough. But um, once that's done, submitted to the factory, uh, then they can get, that's really when the ball can get rolling. And that's when we'll start to see samples. Um, so this kind of rounding out uh, the, this other topic of fitting or product integrity, this is also a major part of the developer's role. Uh, typically, typically, companies will have their uh, a dedicated team for for fitting or or product integrity. They may have a different name for it, but um, what we're looking at here is just is just a portion of a fit report. Um, we conduct fitting at pretty at pretty much all stages of development, from pullover to after like initial line review. We get samples, uh, fitting samples from that, and then we have a final line review, and then we have uh, what we call Tech One, which is shoes that have made it to the line uh, in the factory and in the home office we'll do tech one fitting, which is just uh, the model size or the sample size. For men's it's nine and women's is seven. So these are shoes that we're gonna go to market with. So we, you know, think about it, we've, that will, tech one is like the third or fourth time uh, we've actually fit it. Um, but with each cycle or at each stage, there is some 
you know, uh, the shoe has evolved a little bit. So, you know, we, we really need to pay attention to uh, once we get to tech one, that that's, we know we're going to market with it. So that's where it gets a little, even more intense. And then there's a tech two, which is uh, what we call extreme sizes. Um, we do like, we, we fit, of course, the model size, but we also fit like a smaller size and then a larger size to make sure that the grading is correct. And I kind of spoke a little bit about that earlier. Um, so, and there's even in the factory, they even go to tech, two and three which uh at that point I, i'm not so much involved in that but they they fit every single size at, at tech two and i'm so it, it's just it's, it's pretty intense um if you can quickly jump back on that mark sorry yeah i just wanted to, a couple of things here again it, it is pretty straightforward but as you can see on the bottom uh we usually try to have two or three testers, you know, the more the better, but, you know, you, obviously there's time constraints, but we definitely like to have uh, ideally like two or three testers with maybe different um, foot shapes uh, so we can try to get a good read. And, and obviously we want to, we want it to, our shoes to fit the most people. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, aspects. There's entry, uh, you know, fail or pass. Some companies actually use a number system. Um, I think a couple of years ago, we tried to simplify it and just do like fail or pass for the different aspects. But you can just see uh, some of them is like buckle, if there's a buckle, uh, length, of course, ball, ball strap, uh, um, waist, waist strap. Yeah, so this is a pretty, yeah, before... This is a pretty, uh, a lot of people think sandals might be easy because it's, you know, there's not much to them, but sandals, it's quite the opposite. Sandals get very complicated. Um, so yeah, now we can look at the next one. So as you can see, sandals, especially with a lot of straps and buckles, it, it becomes very tedious to, to, to fit it, uh, not only fit it, but of course we want it to fit, but all, you know, we also want it to be comfortable. So we have, there's, there's just a myriad of possible solutions and improvements that we can make. And uh, so again, there is a team dedicated to fitting. Uh, however, the, the developer is, is, is involved in that process. Um, so it's, um, you, you never really know, uh, like, we can make we can make a beautiful looking product, great looking shoes, but if it's I mean you you all must know if it's not going to fit, then it's it's you know you're not going to buy it or you'll return it, and and you know that has definitely has consequences other than financial. You know there's brands that some people you know they hate because they don't oh those shoes are uncomfortable or oh, they never fit me, so. Fitting is very important. It's very difficult. It's not an exact science. Uh, think about it. Everybody's foot is different. Even between your own right and left, your feet are different. So it's 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 a it's a tough it's a difficult part of uh, 
part of the process. Um, but, part, but super important. I mean, as yeah. Oscar said, I mean, really anytime, you know, this is the n- number one first impression in the world of footwear people are going to have is if they put it on, if it doesn't fit right out of the box, the chances of you actually kind of building that into more um, business is very low. So we, we do spend a lot of time uh, mm-hmm. dialing in these fit details. And you can see, you know, as Oscar pointed out, there's a lot of different components that go into this. Um, sandals sometimes seem like they'd be really easy, but sometimes that those simple projects are some of the most challenging ones. Yeah. Hardest part I've ever worked on, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. Boots, easy. Sneakers, right. to an extent. Like, you know, it is a shoe. It's a closed-toe shoe, so you kind of know what you're going to get. But sandals, yeah. and that's yeah. just... Yeah, that's what I've learned, especially with Teva. I used to work with Ugg and... It's just no comparison. Uh, so yeah, one of the I guess the final thing that I would say is, as far as development and and it's definitely part of fitting and it's really just being a problem solver. Uh, and I, I love that. Um, it, it's really cool to like receive beautiful design and and infor- information from you know product line management, and and your job is to problem solve, problem solve problem solved and and the, the the reward is that you're also the one that delivers the samples you're the one that executes the design and you're the one that you know you're like santa claus you know you're the one that brings everybody present <laughs> uh, so hopefully you know it, 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 it is definitely collaborative and it's just super fun to to be the first one to see uh you see a first sample and then again deliver it to the team and and um yeah so it's 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 great um it's definitely a uh, also a job where you truly learn something new every day so um hopefully well that sounds appealing yeah hopefully that sounds appealing and yeah and i mean i think it underscore that you know through this whole process i mean we can kind of break this into pieces but you know it's really all about kind of collective team goal too i mean all of three of us you know seth oscar myself spend a large amount of time uh either emailing texting video <laughs> conferencing now uh troubleshooting you know because inevitably even with great you know plans you you have to be flexible and you have to be able to uh react and, and respond and adapt um and that's really what the name of our functions are is really trying to you know work together as a team to towards that common goal and you know, it really is. It's really challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, I have a great time working with Oscar and Seth. And yeah. I think now is probably a good time to say thank you, but also uh, leave it open for any questions that anybody has. Yeah, and I, I don't know what we're doing on time, but I answered a couple of them just, just in case we're running short because um, I, I saw the chat popped up here. But um, there's a couple more questions that are probably <laughs> like, this like what are sample lead times for new footwear products? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good one. It, it kind of it depends on what stage we're at, but I would say um, we work. I mean, it's kind of we work um, from from the time that bomb gets handed off to the time we see a pullover is is fairly quick because the pullover is not always in the exact materials. So that's why they always, they look kind of funny sometimes, but um, a factory can crank out a pullover in a matter of actually a matter of days. Uh, But before we get our 
first sample that we like, or like for a line review, like an initial line review, it's it's about a couple months. Yeah, yeah, the process definitely takes time. Yeah, at each stage, it's definitely maybe even uh, it's definitely a few months. Uh, and this is generally something that's longer. Uh, I would say between, you know, I saw there's a little bit of a question between like apparel and footwear. And in the most simplistic way, I would say that footwear tends to be more development heavier with longer um, sampling timelines because you're really looking at, you know, something that's, I don't necessarily know if saying it's more sophisticated is the best way to put it, but there's a lot more kind of componentry and things that require things like molds uh, and different materials that just takes longer to, to build. And it's also a higher investment. So typically in my experience, sampling and, you know, refining samples of footwear is a little bit more labor and time intensive than uh, apparel, apparel, generally speaking. I mean, they, they have their own set of challenges. I don't want to take away from that at all. But it, it is a little bit usually a, a faster turnaround. Yeah, and, and we're going to have, and we'll have, you know, an apparel developer that's going to speak later in the semester, so you'll be able to, Great. you know, see the differences. Um, I, I imagine the process is is similar, and I think I hope that got conveyed for students who had questions around what is, you know, what are these different roles, um, you know. But I imagine the process is similar, but maybe you know one one uh role in that process is a little you know a little heavier versus i don't know there there's going to be some differences and so hopefully we can flesh that out throughout the the semester as well so we'll have an apparel developer we'll have a soft goods product developer and we'll have someone who's more on a hard goods product developer so you can hopefully see the difference there let's take um i know <clears throat> i know we are a little short on time so let's take looks like mia your question is getting answered about development um, whether regarding whether you need a portfolio or not, um, internships are always good. Thanks, Oscar, for answering that. Um, we're having a few few questions roll in, but let's answer just this one last one. We, we you kind of touched at this uh, at the beginning, but Brent's question about how do you really know what customers want? I think you you all echoed this throughout. You know, you're not making stuff for yourself, um, but how do you really like? You can look at data. And yeah. data is really powerful, but like, how do you really know that you're solving real problems for people? Yeah. Um, great question. And one that I, you know, wish there was a clean answer because it's one of these things to where it's really, at least to my, you know, mind, it's really kind of about kind of taking, you know, how much risk you want to take on and, and what those calculated risks can be. Because on one hand, you know, you're never really going to know or develop or really innovate if you're just going to kind of crank out, you know, sort of what we would just consider sort of rather, you know, market standard product. But those also really have a very need. I mean, styles are popular for a reason because there's just a, a, a demand. And that, that could be either just from how it looks or maybe it's how it looks at a certain price point. You know, we, we have, we are, you know, try to be good partners to some of our main retailers. Um, so obviously, you know, we have a lot of conversations as a PLM. That's probably a huge amount of my time is done by conversing with some of our key accounts. They're like, well, you know, we've got this. And what we're really looking for from you guys is to fill this little hole in our, in our business, you know, and it's kind of at this price, it's sort of in this look and feel. Um, 
that can be tricky. Um, but at the same time, you know, we also need to balance out um, being able to, to play and innovate, you know, to have stuff that can be a little bit more of what I would call sort of like a wild card project, because that's the only way that you're going to really kind of push forward and, and find new ideas. I mean, think about like our founder where, you know, it was started as, you know, using a Velcro watch strap to a flip-flop you know that's a pretty off the wall bonkers idea that i don't think in most traditional sense you would ever be like oh you know we should try something like that so you know to me in terms of like how do you really know is we sort of look at multiple projects so let's say we have like five projects for a season we try and make sure that there's a balance of you know okay how many of these can be something that we know has to fit a very clear commercial need so it's this style and it's got to be a hundred bucks. But we also want to make sure that we have something planned in there to where design can push and explore because that's really important for us. Uh, and that's how you also reach new consumers. Um, so for us, it's, it's a little bit of a delicate balancing act. And I think the best ones are really when you are kind of working together to, to, to push your boundaries a little bit uh, and balance that with some hard insight. So if we know, for example, that, you know, one of our key competitors at, you know, is ex absolutely getting a ton of business because they've got this, you know, sneaker shoe that, you know, is 110 bucks and it just really kind of fills that need. Well, we want to know what that space is and we want to know why people like it. So it might just be that it looks cool. It might be that it fits and just is a super versatile product. So it's really kind of trying to set, I kind of use the, the analogy a lot of like turning the dials. It's like how much of this dial needs to be super innovative or super wild and colorful and how much of it needs to be, oh, it's comfortable and it's a great price. Um, so we do that really with a lot of, you know, market research, um, conversations with retailers and then following our instinct. Um, but it's, there's no real exact answer. I mean, I think there's always a little bit of apprehension and I've seen it happen both ways. You know, I've seen projects that I wasn't really that excited about on the onset that just absolutely clicked and consumers just went nuts and loved it. Uh, I've also had the opposite happen where I've had projects that I thought were just going to be an absolute home run that just, you know, for whatever reason, it could be priced, it could be how it turned out, whatever it is, just didn't always um, succeed. So it's really about also kind of hindsighting. So at the end of the season, I always try and take a, a, a really critical look at what worked and what didn't and try and understand why. Yeah. Yeah, strategy is very important. And the other thing is that everybody else in the industry is also trying to predict what's going to be cool in two years or what's relevant to their consumers. So we all kind of have the same issue to work around, but strategy and just trying to work a, or plan ahead for yourself and, you know, doing the right research and backing that up is pretty much all you can do. <laughs> Hope yeah. for the best and believe in the, you know, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think we're out of time. Um, I think the amount of questions and really good questions we got is a great sign. Um, you got everyone thinking. Um, I, I think that's, that's really good. So I, if, if people have further questions, is there a way to reach out to you guys? Are you guys open to that connecting with students? Is, is there a way if people have follow-ups or want to talk to you guys in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chase, we can, we can send over contact uh, to you today. And uh, if people want to reach out, you know, we love chat and shop. Um, I think most of us really could do this probably for far too long, but um, yeah, we're, we're always happy to, to answer any questions offline.
Okay, perfect. Well, thank you guys again. Um, I know we talked at one point, maybe, maybe we'll do a, a breakout and, you know, get each of you individually to, to do an interview about your role specifically. And so there's more opportunities to, to get these guys involved in the future. It's, it sounds like, so We'd again, thanks for that. taking the time. Um, so with that, you know, this is recorded too. I'm, I'm sure this is a presentation students could revisit a few times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of good information here. So thank you guys for taking the time. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.